Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Handoff, Foster running right across the five. He gets in, Arian Foster, his third touchdown of the day. And the Texans are beating up Indianapolis. What is good? What is up? It's Jordan for Texans Thoughts, and we're back with another live stream. Today, I've got a very, very exciting episode for you guys. First, before we get into our special guest, I want to do a quick little housekeeping because I got a big announcement. I am officially the new host of the Believe in Texans podcast. Very, very excited about this new opportunity. I think this network has really a great upward trajectory, and I'm really excited to join the team. Um, we are planning on trying to get a former Texans player as my co-host, so be on the lookout for that. In terms of my content, nothing really changes. Still going to be doing these streams, but you will be able to get the audio version of the streams on all of your favorite streaming, or sorry, podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Um, links are in the description for that. So now that we're done with the housekeeping, I want to introduce the special guest of this episode. Thank you, Derek Klassen, for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad, man. I mean, first of all, congratulations to you making a new move. I mean, that's exciting. And I'm <laughs> glad I get to kind of be here for the announcement. That's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time and joining us. And thank you. Yes, I'm glad that you are first, um, my first kind of guest for starting off this show, because I feel like we need to have an NFL draft expert to kick us off. We are so close to the NFL draft two weeks away, guys. Oh, my goodness. And so Derek Klassen, he is an established and accomplished writer for Football Outsiders specializing in film room so he's a film guy just like me that's why i really needed to bring him in here um he's also in part of the nfl draft scouting team over at bleacher report specializing in linebackers um, and defensive line so we've got a big time expert here you guys can follow him on twitter at qb class links in the description for that um but yeah today we're gonna be oh thank you so much for the donations we got my boy patty storm in here two dollars i appreciate it shout out to everyone in the chat we got the moderate text and my boy Jay, $40. Let's go. He ain't even ready. Let's go. Let's go. The beard. Neither of us have beards, man. No. I don't think I could ever pull off a beard. I am Asian. We do not grow hair like that. I don't know about <laughs> you, Derek, but I, I'm I'm 24 years old. I think I would have figured it out by now, and it's it's not happening. So <laughs> it's okay. We're pulling off the baby face. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but okay, in terms of agenda today. Um, we're going to go through kind of Texans draft strategy in the first round. That's where we're going to make the focus on for today. We got the two picks, three and 13. Hallelujah. We've been through a drought where the Texans have really been in a poor spot, but now we have the capital to really rebuild. So we'll go through that. We will answer some questions um, from you guys on Twitter, and then we'll do some rapid fire questions asking Derek and picking his brain a little bit. All righty. Let's get into it, y'all. So starting off, Texans are very lucky to have the third overall pick in this class. And I think they're in a very, very advantageous scenario. I feel like there's they can go in numerous routes here, and it's kind of hard to complain with what they would end up doing. But I wanted to talk to you, Derek. Where do you think – do you think – what is your strategy for the Texans? If you are the GM of the Texans, where are you kind of going with this pick? I mean, personally, I, I think it has to be so no matter ba basically no matter what how the board shakes out, one of Thibodeau or Evan Neal are going to be there. Right. And to me, mm -hmm. you just take whichever one of them are there. If they're both there, 
feels a little bit more to me like I would lean Thibodeau just because I think he's the best player in the class. I think he's been the best player in the class the entire time. Um, so personally, if he's there, that's what I would do. If neither of those two there, I, I would definitely try to do what I can to entertain a trade down. Um, but if they end up with, um, you know, some other guy, maybe it's another tackle like a Quanu or something. I, I think any of those are, are perfectly fine. But yeah, to me, it would be like Thibodeau, Neil, trade back. Okay, okay. You're speaking my language. You're team Thibodeau. <laughs> I like yeah. it. I like it. I know he is one of the most kind of polarizing players in this class. He's been taking a lot of heat in late in the draft process, which is kind of wild to me because he's been touted as the number one guy, the crown jewel of this class for so long. Um, and I know Texans fans particularly are a bit more worrisome than other fan bases because of our kind of history taking a defensive end. At number one, Mario Williams and, and Jadeveon Clowney come to mind, are high up in the first round like that. And so what do you kind of make of the work ethic concerns with Thibodeau? Do you see the Clowney comparison off the field and on the field? Because I think there's there's credence to it somewhat on the field um, in terms of his play style and, and whatnot. But what do you kind of see in terms of that take? Uh, the all the stuff with his off-field problems whatever they are it really more just the none of it has been substantiated right like he hasn't done anything illegal there's no like very clear story of he did this this and this it's like yeah. to me because none of it is substantiated it's really hard for me to actually like put any faith into it and you know uh justice mosqueda and charles mcdonald were actually talking on charles's podcast the other day about how why are we allowing like the nfl who just you know, traded a bunch of picks and money for Deshaun Watson to be the arbiter of like morality in the NFL. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. So until it becomes very clear that Thibodeau has done something wrong, I don't see why we should put any stock into it. And as far as on the field, um, I think Thibodeau probably has a little bit more bend than Clowney did coming out. Um, Clowney was just like it, the first step from the heavens. Like that, that dude was the most explosive player I think I've ever seen. So um, I think they're a little different, but definitely both a little bit more guys who are like speed guys um, or mm -hmm. like come off the ball and have a ton of power. So I can kind of see that. Yeah, I, I said before that Kevon Thibodeau was the best player in this class in terms of he's the best player in the first second after the snap in this class. Like his get off is, is absolutely insane. It's clowny like it's explosive. His lower half is just really, really fun to watch. And he can just beat guys purely with that get off. And so that's kind of maybe why. He might be a little bit more underdeveloped in terms of developing the pass rush plan and counters and, and all that good stuff. But that comes with time. Like, it's not like the college version of Kayvon is who he's going to be his entire life. I don't I don't buy that whatsoever. I think looking at how passionate he is in terms of, um, you know, his career, his business, and, and just trying to do better things that are even past football. Like, I think this is a very driven individual. And I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't think any of these claims are substantiated whatsoever. It's probably stemming from teams trying to get him to fall later into the top 10 so that they get a chance to take him. Um, but I agree with you. I think if he's there on the board at three, it would be a no-brainer decision for the Texans. I think even talking kind of talent or sorry roster wise and scheme wise like he fits perfectly for what we need we need that alpha pass rusher that blue chip defender to build your defense around and lovey smith like his defenses always work through the trenches it's always about the defensive line he needs that front four to get the pass rush because he's not going to blitz and he needs that guy so he needs that thibodeau um and i think that'd be perfect but thank you willie boy p for the 20 dollars. i appreciate you um appreciate everyone for the donations let me go through the chat real quick yeah so if you guys um didn't catch it earlier i'm the new host for the believe in texans podcast so if you weren't able to catch the live stream um if you don't like looking at my face 
I don't blame you. If you want to just listen to me, you want to get catch the audio later, it'll be on all that good stuff, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, but yeah. Okay, so at three, um, you're going Thibs and then you're going Neil. Um, the Neil discussion's interesting to me because do you okay, let me ask you this question first. I, I do have him very highly rated. He's my what third overall player on my board. Um, I love him. I think he's an absolutely he can be an absolutely elite tackle. My question is to you, do you think he can actually play guard? I know he did it in college, but six seven guard, it's difficult. Do you think he can do that? I, I think it would be fine. And that's actually why I like Neil for them specifically at this spot. Cause like truthfully, if I'm just picking my trying to lock in franchise left tackle, I might like Charles Cross slightly more, especially as a yeah. pass protector. But um I think the flexibility that Evan Neal can give you, especially for um, you know, the way that this Houston line is structured, they kind of have left tackle mm-hmm. figured out, but I think Neil could play basically everything else, um, especially right tackle right out of the gate. I mean, if you if you put those two dudes at bookend, I mean <laughs> That's about as good as it's going to get in the NFL, assuming Neil is who we think he is as a rookie. So um, I think just the flexibility that he would give them would be awesome. And I think he could definitely play guard. I think, you know, he, he you probably wouldn't want to take that at three and like keep him at guard forever. Yeah. But if you're doing that while like trying to segue into a, a different version of the offensive line, I think it would be totally fine. Yeah. And that's why at the end of the day, I keep saying like, no matter kind of which direction the Texans go from here, like I'm not really going to be too upset because it's, it, it really comes down to the flexibility. Like you said, like if you draft Neil, put him at left guard, right guard or whatever, as a rookie, you keep Titus and, and Tunsil as your tackles. Um, then Neil having that flexibility, it, it really helps because we don't know what Tunsil is going to do when his contract is up. Um, and by that time, he will kind of be on a bit of a different timeline than our rebuilding timeline. So maybe we end up trading Tunsil. Maybe we end up losing him. He goes somewhere else. Boom. Evan Neal is, like Derek said, as good of a tackle as you can get. So I'd be happy with that and uh, Titus as well. So, yeah, uh, any of those options at three would be really, really great for me. Um, trading down, maybe a team will come up. Um, I think it's more likely, honestly, that a team trades up to the 13 pick than they do to three because just looking at three like who are you really getting ahead of like maybe you're getting ahead of the panthers but like you probably just trade up to four or five like and then malik willis might go at two like that's a a potential landing spot so it's just a weird kind of in-between spot the texans are there so i think they just go bpa at three um i'm with you on that um now as for 13 they're in a bit of a different spot there they get that pick from the browns via the deshaun watson trade um, what's your general kind of strategy for that pick there? Yeah, I mean, so it for me, it kind of fringes on if they end up with Thibodeau at uh, at three. If they take That's Thibodeau right. at three, obviously you wouldn't have to take an edge. But if they still end up needing an edge at three uh, or at 13, I actually still really, really like George Karloftis. I think he's a top mm. 10 player in the class. So if they wanted to take a guy like that at that spot, I think that would be totally fine. Um, other than that, maybe taking the best defensive back left on the board. You pray to God that maybe Derek Stingley falls to you. I don't know that that is going to happen, but if it does, I think it would be really hard to pass that up. Um, And then other than that, you know, probably again is moving into like trade down scenario for me, um, assuming you didn't already do that at three. Yeah, absolutely. You've got it on lock, I think. I like that strategy a lot. Um, Let's go with the Thibodeau situation. Um, If he is the pick at three, then yeah, I'm with you. I mean, fingers crossed it's Stingley. Fingers crossed it's Hamilton. Like, what do you make of Hamilton's slide? Uh, safety out of Notre Dame. Do you do you, do you buy that a little bit more than the Thibodeau slide? Uh, the Hamilton one is weird because like 
I don't know. If you watch his 40, it seems very clear that he just like wasn't comfortable running it. Uh, he, he just came out of like the first 20 yards, super, super awkward, um, like literally not running in a straight line. So I think that's going to be one of those weird cases. And it, it's always like, you know, stupid to say, uh, you know, he plays faster than he ran. But like mm-hmm. you watch Kyle Hamilton play and it's very, very obvious that he plays a lot faster than he ran. Um, so I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. And I think he does so much of everything um that he could fit into any defense so if he falls to 13 i don't think that should happen um but if he does i think it would be really really hard to pass on a player like that um especially because like at a certain point people were considering that houston should take him at three so now he falls to 13 like that's that's pretty good to me he's been my guy at three for most of this year and then now it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm going to have, I just keep having to defend myself that I, I'm fully on the Kyle Hamilton train, but I'm with you. I'm glad someone smarter than me is saying it too. He plays faster than he tests. It, the clip went out there on Twitter um, of him, of like kind of the different camera angle of his 40, where it's kind of a straight ahead view rather than the, I guess, horizontal view. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see, like Derek said, like this man's running zigzags. Like he's, he's almost like running out of the lines yeah he's trying to run to the sideline like i don't know what i don't know who coached him someone's got to get fired but man um i'm kind of in the conspiracy theory if you if you want to put your tinfoil hat on um i'm in the crowd that he's trying to tank his stock to go to a better team because there is just no way that he is is running that bad and he reportedly ran worse at his pro day it makes no sense to me um, I'm still fully on board, Kyle Hamilton. I would even still think of him at three. I know that's wild, but I'm not high on him because, like Derek said, I think he can do so much for you. And I think he and Thibodeau really have the highest ceilings out of anyone in this class. I'm really, really believing in that. And so, I mean, if he potentially is there at 13, dude, oh my gosh, that's a dream haul for the Texans. Um, I know a lot of Texans fans also want us to go cornerback early. And Lovey Smith has preached about how he wasn't happy with the results at cornerback last year. They want to invest in that. And Nick Casario has always been, you know, with that Patriots model of building back to front, get him his next JC Jackson, get him his next uh, Stephon Gilmore. At 13, Derek, is there anyone else other than Derek Stingley that we should really be looking for? Like Ahmad Gardner probably won't be there. Are you in the Andrew Booth camp? Maybe Kyer Elam? Is that too early for him? What are your thoughts on a cornerback at 13? You know, truthfully, just because of all the other stuff I've done, I haven't watched that many of the other corners uh, mm-hmm. past the top two. But what I would say was I, I think for this system, they really, really need somebody who's willing to play physical and willing to tackle. So yep. whoever is the best in that mold left <laughs> at that spot, I think is, is probably should be the pick. Fair, fair. And that's why I kind of I'm a bit more wary of Derek Stingley, because tackling is not that. I mean, that's his biggest weakness on mm-hmm. tape in terms of in terms of actually sounds like an lsu corner (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly what are they coaching them there um but yeah for me the cornerback who fits that bill perfectly is is andrew booth um i'm really high on him he ended up having tied for the same like film grade for me as sauce gardner did um and i think he's worthy of like a top 15 pick for sure um he's the best tackling cornerback in my opinion really really good at reading and reacting clicking and closing from an off position flying downhill and I mean if you watch the Georgia game people have always posted that same clip of him coming downhill and blowing up James Cook in the flat he'll do that all day in the NFL so I think I'm personally in the camp of Booth at 13 I think that'd be a great pick um, if we end up going edge at uh, at three um, but okay so that's kind of our thoughts at 13 
Um, I guess general thoughts in terms of a trade down. What do you think, Derek, is kind of like a realistic haul for the Texans to get in this trade down? Like, let's say they're going to go trade down with maybe it's another team that has two seconds in the first round. So, or sorry, two firsts in the in the first round, like Green Bay, like Kansas City. So you're getting to that end of the first round from, say, 13. Um, do you think they can get a, another future first round pick? Or do you think it more look like second rounder, third rounder? I would have to assume it's more day two picks just because mm-hmm. I think because this the way that this draft is constructed in a way is like the best picks are kind of between that eight to 25. So it feels like moving within that range isn't quite as valuable because you're going to get a really good player no matter what in that range. Yeah. Um, so it feels more like to me if they were trading, you know, from 13 back to, uh, I don't know, wherever the Saints are at like 16, it would probably only mm-hmm. be, you know, some extra day two stuff. Um, if they were moving back with, the you know maybe with the chiefs or packers i would have a hard time believing there's another first round pick in there mm-hmm. um but you never know i mean somebody could get really desperate especially if uh especially if whoever they're going up for is charles cross i think if charles cross is left at 13 and somebody really really wants to go up and get who is clearly to me you know there's a tier of three tackles and he, yeah. he would be the last one in this scenario i that would be the one scenario where someone could go a little crazy with whatever they're willing to spend <laughs> wow you were very high on cross i like I, it. I like him a lot he i think he's just the best pass protector in this class and i think yeah. he is a little bit meaner and tougher of a run defender than he gets credit for just because you know you see mike leach running the offense you're like ah, it's <laughs> stuff. but I, I think he gets after it i i'm 100 with you i love his pass protection his technique his ability to kind of game plan and switch up for depending on the type of rusher he was going after i was really impressed by his game versus alabama when he was going up against different like outside linebackers and a 3-4 defensive end and depending on who he was facing like he knew how to kind of vary his punch timing and and whatnot to to stall the rusher depending on what their strengths were so i was very impressed by that and then i'm with you too like i heard before i had watched him I heard that, you know, he's he's a bad run blocker. He doesn't get any push. But, like, that dude, he pushes people around the field, man. Yeah, I, I think what's happening is just, you know, if you had just come off of watching, you know, Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu, who are just bulldozing people. Yeah. And then you watch, uh, you know, Cross, who is, like, above average but not really crushing people, you probably mm-hmm. feel pretty underwhelmed. But, like, truthfully, if you just watch Cross in, like, isolation, if you can do that, yeah, he's doing more than enough as a run defender, and I think when or as a run blocker, and when you pair that with being the smoothest pass protector in the class, it's just a hard profile for me to to not get excited about. Absolutely, absolutely, he is. What is he? Eleventh on my board. I think yeah, he's a he's a borderline top ten talent in this class. Um, I really like the run blocking, like you said. Like he he's a positive as a run blocker. He gets yeah. the job done. Um, I think it's definitely more of like a zone scheme guy than a gap mm-hmm. power. Um, but he's long. He's athletic. He can get out in space. He drives his legs decently to create push. Like there's there's enough technique and enough athleticism and, and, and physicality there where I'll, I can buy into it for sure. Um, but yeah, love Charles Cross. Actually, I want to go back before we get into these next this next segment because um, you mentioned you love George Karloftis. Yeah, and I know you're a D line guy. Um, so I want to get your edge rankings. Actually, I should have I should have asked you for this before, but I want to get your edge rankings. Give me your top five. What does that look like? Uh, I'm trying to remember my bleacher board specifically. Uh, <laughs> I think I have Thibodeau, um, and then I actually have Karloftis. I, I literally like him that much that he's, I think, a little bit better than Hutchinson to me. Wow. Um, okay. Hutchinson would be third. 
I want to say fourth. I actually, I guess it depends on, you know, if you're counting Trayvon Walker. For the sake of this argument, I will mm. not. Um, then to me, I think it's uh, Arnold Ebiketti from Penn yes. State. I just think he's one of the more advanced rushers in the class. His hand usage is, is pretty ridiculous, and he has really good uh, get off and, and bend. So um, if he can add any amount of weight and power, he, he'll be a really good NFL rusher. And then after that is where I have uh, Jermaine Johnson, who Ooh. the hype to me is a little bit. I think the top 10 stuff is a little is a little much, but I think he's a good player. I think he can be a really good number two in the NFL, and he's going to be one of the better run defenders out of the gate, actually. I think mm-hmm. day one, he'll probably be the best. Like him and Hutchinson are yeah. probably going to be, be the best run defenders out of the gate. Okay, okay. I want to break this down more because I, I'm loving this. Um, in terms of, let's talk about Karloftis versus Hutchinson because I feel like that is is a not a consensus pick. Like, like. Most people will have Hutch, even one, um, and then and then Thibs, one, one of those two as one or two. But Karloftis at two. Sell me on that because I feel like when I I see him, um, he's not the biggest guy, doesn't have the longest arms. Um, he's explosive, but I don't think he's like super bendy, not like Thibs. Um, probably on the same level as Hutchinson, in my opinion. Um, but do you think – and then like the production is not really like – it doesn't really jump out at you. But sell me on him. I want to be sold on him. Yeah, I mean, so he was probably playing at like 265, 270. And the Mm -hmm. way he comes off the ball for that size, is really, really ridiculous to me. Um, And then I think even though he has shorter arms, you can see it. He runs into some trouble because I don't think he has like a good long arm move that he can just, you know, bend all the right all the way around the edge from like a wide nine or whatever. That's not really who he is. But Mm -hmm. I think when he gets a clean strike, he has some of the most powerful hands in the class. Um, So I just think he's a very strong, explosive rusher with. Like you mentioned, not the best Ben, but I think mm-hmm. he does enough given the rest of his tools. To me, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Kerrigan, who was like a very crafty, mm-hmm. very powerful, very explosive rusher who had enough Ben to, you know, kind of accommodate the rest of his skill set. And that's kind of what I see in Karloftis. And then what also sold me on Karloftis personally is if you go back and watch him uh, playing as a freshman, which one, I think it's mm-hmm. pretty impressive. He was starting in the Big Ten as a freshman to begin with, but he was not a good run defender as a freshman. Like he mm-hmm. just... Never saw blocking correctly. Didn't know what to do with his hands. His base would get all wide. Just not great. You watch him now, and I think he's a lot better with how he understands how to keep his base under him. I think he does better seeing what kinds of concepts he's getting. Um, And I think he does a lot better using his hands and making sure he's getting the initial punch on guys and keeping himself clean. So I think just seeing that progression suggests to me that there's some more development that he could be doing just because he's already proven to me that he can get better and he can work with that stuff. So I just think with the explosive potential, um, a guy of his weight being that explosive, um, and then just the development he's shown, I just I think there's a lot left there for for him to go mm, in a good that, way. I already think he's good, and I think yeah. there's a lot more. Is what I'm saying. Interesting, interesting. Okay, two things. First thing, that's very interesting to note the improvement you've seen because for me that was kind of one of my biggest issues is his hand usage was so inconsistent. Like I felt mm-hmm. that. No matter what game you watch, like if you watched game A, you would have maybe thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer. You watch game B, he's like, okay, I don't, I don't know what, what's going on here. I just don't see it because his moves, like when they land, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. It's it's picturesque. Um, but when they don't, then he's kind of struggling, and it's just kind of it just comes down to his motor, which is which is mm-hmm. great, and he has those effort sacks, effort pressures. Um, but I I'm a big believer that it can't just purely you can't purely just win off of motor. Of mm-hmm. stunts and all that good stuff um so that was good to know from you um secondly where do you see his best kind of like scheme fit in terms of four three three four hand in the dirt strong side weak side what, what do you think there 
I almost would kind of like him standing up, even though he's yeah. a, a heavier guy. But I mean, you look at guys like, um, I, I mean, the Packers in particular, the, the Packers and the Ravens actually really like heavier stand-up backers. Um, and I think that type of scheme would actually be really good for him mm-hmm. um, because you can, you can, you know, you can twist him in, in, inside a lot and you can get him hitting guards and stuff like that. I think he's plenty powerful enough to do it, but those schemes tend to like those bigger stand-up outside rushers. And truthfully, for whatever reason, I think this is just like a comfort thing some guys have. To yeah. me, it feels like he coils and comes off the ball better when he's standing up. Yep, um, yep. I don't know what that is exactly. I don't know if you can coach it to be better when his hand's in the dirt. Who knows? But some guys are just more comfortable certain ways, and it seems like that's what it is for him. So that's probably what I would want to do with him in the NFL. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you on that point. I noticed like he has this kind of weird two-point stance where he's like a bit angled to mm-hmm. the ball where he's kind of like almost like at a 45-degree angle. It's not that drastic, but right. and he kind of runs like in a diagonal way. It's really weird and unique, but that's definitely when he's at his best. Um, so yeah, I'm with you on that too. I think stand-up guy. Um, so maybe not the best fit for the Texans as we are running a 4-3, um, but very talented player. I wouldn't be mad at him, mad at us for taking him at 13 um, because I think that's good value there. Um, but yeah, I, for me, my edge rankings, how does it go? It goes, I got Hutchinson first. Um, I just think he's the most polished, um, Thibodeau second. And they're, they're basically like one, a one B like there's very little separation mm-hmm. there. Um, I'm a big Jermaine Johnson guy. I really like him. I think the more I watched of him, the more I appreciated him and the little things that he actually does. Uh, then I got curl off this. Then I got Walker. If we're saying Walker's a interior guy, which I think he honestly probably should be, then I would go Ebikete as well. I love Ebikete. I think he's a first yeah. round talent who's probably going to be there at the second and every team is going to want to be trading up for him because man, he, like you said, like he is so detailed in his pass rush plan and counters. He can win on all three tracks. Like he's a really fun guy to watch. So he's one of my favorite guys. I know we're only talking about the first round for the Texans, but he's one of my favorite second round targets at 37 top of the second round there if you don't go edge in the first round man look out for Evacete. he's a special talent for sure that penn state defense was fun to watch actually they have some um, dudes <laughs> yeah yeah would you okay what since i got you what do you think about uh jesse lucetta because he's one of my my guys this year he's like so he actually really really reminds me of uh, a guy who plays for the chiefs his name is mike dana um mm. he's mostly just a run defender but he has this like yeah kind of boxy bulldog looking build the way that Luketa does very <laughs> top heavy um almost looks like a lego character or something just the way that he's built but um just a dude who, who really really gets after it. he's like a high motor um high energy like high physicality type of guy and i think that's really really important when you're mm-hmm. considering these like mid-round guys who are supposed to be high floor um i think when you get a guy like Luketa who's as physical as he is um i think it's really important i have some issues with how he actually keeps his feet under him when he's, you know, trying mm-hmm. to anchor against people. And I don't really love what he is as a pass rusher, but yeah. you know, by the fourth round or something, when you are just looking for these guys who can be a role player, I think he could be like a first and second down stud, honestly. Like he's really, yeah. really clean run defender. So I do like him. Just I worry about what his ceiling is, I guess would be the way I would put it. Yeah. No, those are all fair, fair um, takes to say for sure. I like him as a run defender, as like a, I think he can play strong and weak side as a as a four three D end. Um, I kind of got some good chase to him. He he does. Yeah, the pursuit on him, like he is a dog, like you said, like his physicality is one hundred percent his best traits. Um, and I even like him. I know he played linebacker a little bit. He mm-hmm. he switched up linebacker and edge at, at in college. I like him as a Sam too. Like I think if you just put him at that strong side, ask him to go attack tight ends and and set the edge and help set help set the edge in that aspect. Um, I like that a lot. Do you think he's going to be a versatile guy, or do you think he's going to be 
kind of stick him at one spot and, and let him work? What would you do actually? Uh, I would probably lean towards just leaving him at one spot just because mm-hmm. I have a hard time, even though he could just like mash tight ends um, as yeah. a Sam, I, I worry about what his play in space would look like as, you know, if he, yeah. if he moved them off the ball or put him in a little bit more space. So I think I would really just want him on the ball and really, um, you know, just kind of getting after people as quickly as he can. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's what they did at the senior bowl. So you're probably, you're probably right in terms of what the NFL wants to do there. Um, okay. Yeah. Love him. Uh, let's get into the Q and a section from Twitter. You guys can follow me at Texans underscore thoughts, hit up QB class or sorry, Derek class at QB class. Um, all right. First one from my boy, Ryan, let me share my screen. Um, that's not the right thing to share. There we go. All right. At, at Fanatic GM, shout out to Ryan. He says, should a quarterback be considered at 3 or 13, given the ability to heavily invest around a quarterback in the next three drafts? Um, I'll give I my – yeah, okay, you go, you go. I was just about to say I have a hard time <laughs> with that one. I just don't really – I don't like any of these quarterbacks at 3. Yeah. And the only one I would even think about at 13 is Ritter. And even then, I just Ooh. think their timeline is such that, like, there's no incentive to be good right now. Um, I think it would just make a lot more sense to to hold as much capital as they can. And yeah. just, you know, they're probably going to get a top five pick next year, like their own top five pick, let alone what other capital they have. So <laughs> I think they'll be able to get up and move and get a guy in what is supposed to be a much better class. So I just have a hard time with taking any of these guys in that range, I think. Yeah, I think this class is, it's just too risky. Um, and it would be an un necessary risk for us to take right now um especially talking about how like essentially the best asset you can have best financial asset you can have as a rookie quarterback on their on the rookie deal right and so you kind of don't want to potentially waste one of those years as you're going through this rebuilding process like derek said like the timeline and in terms of us not really needing to be good right now like that's completely fair just stock up your stockpile your picks as premium picks go get a bryce young go get a cj stroud next year um i'm a big i like uh the potential of malik willis of matt corral of desmond ritter that's kind of those are enticing guys for sure um but not for us i don't think we're in a position to to really help them succeed (laughs) that's a nice way to put it (laughs) not for us not for us someone else can can take that risk um you so you got desmond ritter quarterback one huh Mm -hmm. yeah i I like him a lot he's just i'm tend to be the kind of guy that like I want to see higher level processing and I tend Mm -hmm. to prefer guys who are going to be a little bit more ready out of the gate and to me I think Ritter is clearly the guy for that in this class um there might be some other guys who have a little bit higher ceilings I mean Willis for sure um you could argue like Corral even pick it to a degree but I just think in terms of out of the gate he's going to be the best I think um and then I do think his ceiling is kind of being undersold like he's clearly a really good athlete and I think his uh arm is a little better than he gets credit for it's obviously not great it's it's not what willis's is that's for sure but uh, i think he's going to be able to make every throw and i think really a lot of his issues with some of the underthrown deep balls are just like mechanics i don't think it's a arm strength issue at all yeah that's fair that's fair okay so then in terms of his kind of improvement areas like accuracy is the biggest thing right and it's kind of all over the place short intermediate and deep you said it's mainly in terms of the the mechanics right in terms of the deep ball um 
do you think that's something that's going to be very fixable? Do you think like it should have been ironed out already in college? And that kind of gives you pause of why it hasn't it been ironed out already? Or do you think it's you're not really too worried about that? Uh, it's tough because I think to a degree he did get better at it. I think he was a lot worse at it earlier in his career. And then he did iron it out a little bit in his senior year. Obviously, okay. it's still not quite where you want it to be, but I think he did a lot better job. So that suggests to me that there's some uh something more untapped there i also do think it's something that can be fixed i think you know the biggest example to me that i can remember of this issue mm. getting fixed is ryan Tannehill. uh if you watch ryan Tannehill mm. early in his miami days just did not do a good job transferring all his weight to get into the a lot of those deep throws and that was why mm. despite some of the deep weapons that they had just never really worked out um in miami towards the end of his arc there he kind of started to figure it out and then obviously in tennessee he's figured it out it's kind of what he does best really at this point yeah. um, is throw down the field. And so I do think it's it's definitely fixable. And I think if he can get even, you know, five, 10% better in that area, that helps unlock everything else in his game, I think. For sure. For sure. No, I'm a believer in that too. I think, especially when you're looking at quarterbacks, you really want to look at which traits are improvable slash fixable mm -hmm. and which ones aren't like you're never going to be able to get a stronger arm really for the most part i mean there's, <laughs> there's some things you can do with your mechanics but for the most part you're stuck with the arm you're stuck with the legs that you are given right so i i'm with you on that and, and it's great you mentioned ryan Tannehill, um because i think that's a very very common um comp for him is that your mm -hmm. comp do you have a different one or um to me he is he plays a lot like dak actually i don't think oh, he's gonna be quite that good um, because Dak is just an absolute machine to me. And Dak is like, to me, I, I'm pretty high on Dak, but to me, he's like yeah. a top five quarterback. And so I don't think Ritter is going to be that good, but I think they have a lot of similarities just in terms of the ways they like the process. They both try to hold the ball. Um, they want to hunt for bigger plays in structure, not necessarily out of the pocket. Sometimes mm. you want to yell at both of them to just go make a play <laughs> <laughs> um, because they can. It's just, they don't do it um, as much as they could. Um, and then truthfully, I think part of why I like the Dak comp is Ritter does have these like two, three go throws a game where you're just like, dude, how did you miss that? And honestly, mm. Dak has a lot of those. Dak will have like two, three throws a game where you're just like, man, there's no way you should have missed that. And he does. So um, I, I don't know. I just think there's there's pretty good amount of similarity similarities in their game. I like that one. I like that one a lot. So then do you think he you said he probably won't have top five ceiling? Is it top 10, top 15? Is that kind of more the range you're looking at? Yeah, I think he can, I think like the, if he is like the average version of what I think he can be, he would be like a top 20-ish quarterback. And I think if okay. he gets into the upper echelon of what I think he could be, he would be in that like fringe top 10 range. Like in the the Derek Carr range, I think is probably about what I would say, where he's, you know, not truly elite, but he's over, well over the bar of whatever you should be, you know, considering a quarterback. Fair, fair. No, I, I agree with that. Um. Eric's got a good question here. Where was where was Davis Mills on your board last year? Because for me, I was not too high on him. I'll admit, I'll take the L. But he shocked us all. He improved a lot over the second half of the season, um, and we're excited about his future. But where was he on your board? Um, did you do quarterbacks? You charted all the quarterbacks, so yeah. Yeah, he also was not very high for me um, because mm -hmm. you know part of it I didn't enjoy his tape a lot because to me it was like. He did a really, really good job processing quick game um, mm -hmm. and throwing quick game, you know, that one to 10 yard area. He was actually like lights out. It's just that I had a lot of issues with a lot of his other game. I think, yeah. you know, making plays outside the pocket was not very good. His deep ball was really bad. I think sometimes he was a little late to trigger on, you know, more of these intermediate concepts. Um, and I thought his arm was fine, but not something you would really get excited about. So mm -hmm. I just thought he was kind of like a, 
medium floor, low ceiling type of guy. So he didn't really do a whole lot for me. But I think you're right. As a rookie, I think part of why he actually had a lot of the success that he did is, one, he was as good as he was as good in the quick game as we thought he was, which helps. Yeah. And then I think he was a lot better outside the pocket than yeah. he ever looked in college, which um, I mean, good for him. If he can actually keep that up, he's going to be a, you know, top 32 ish quarterback um, for a long time, which, you know, that doesn't say a lot, but those guys are going to get paid and continue to get random starting jobs here. And there, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's at the end of the day, kind of how I see him as well. Um, I think he's going to be, you know what? I'm going to get in trouble if I start talking shit. <laughs> so, you know what? I won't go there. Um, but yeah, no, I'm with you on the fact on the out of, out of, uh, out of the pocket stuff because he looked a bit, I don't want to say statue-ish, but like he was a bit of a statue in, in college. And I think one thing that I needed to kind of factor in was that he had a major knee injury. Right. Um, and he, I'm pretty sure he wore a brace. So he might have still been recovering from that. And maybe that's why he looked a little bit less mobile um and being able to throw on the run and, and all that stuff that excites everyone um but yeah he he was able to make the first guy miss this year that was the the main thing for me is is can you at least at least make that first guy miss because like when you're kind of trying to quantify like this off script playmaking ability from these quarterbacks like it's it's on a, it's all on a spectrum right and like we're not going to expect him to be deshaun watson like we kind of got no. spoiled from deshaun watson juking out four or five players just breaking tackles like it's nothing like that's that's not normal um, but if you can at least make the first defender miss, step up in the pocket, extend the play, then that's huge. And I think Mills absolutely showed that and better than I was expecting for someone who's so inexperienced in college. So there were some good signs for Mills. Absolutely. We're going to get to our next question here, which is a funnel scenario from Daniel D. Harmon 91 on Twitter. He asks, would you rather have a combination of Sauce and Jermaine Johnson or Thibodeau and Stingley with the third and 13th pick? Derek, what are your thoughts? And then I'll provide mine. I mean, I guess it would, you know, if specifically for the Texans, I mm -hmm. think you could maybe make the argument for Sauce and Johnson, but I think yeah. the the raw talent level, at least in my opinion, of Thibodeau and Stingley is just significantly higher um you know like i said i think to me thibodeau is the best player in the class and then yeah. i like johnson but not quite in the top 10 range um and then to me i think stingley is just a little bit better than sauce i think just to do what he did as a freshman even though the past two years have been kind of rocky you know with injury stuff and all that i think mm -hmm. what he did as a freshman you know for me when he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with kyle pitts i was like okay this guy's <laughs> a little it. different <laughs> this guy's a little different so I, I still believe that that player is there so um, to me, it would be Thibodeau and Stingley. Yeah, I've heard some great stories about Stingley and kind of who he is as a person and the kind of competitor that he is and how he sharpened his iron versus Jamar Chase um, on that LSU team. And so to be able to go up against that guy every day in practice, like you're going to get good. <laughs> you're going to have right. to bring it. And so and he's he's a freak athlete. Like the, the potential is still all there. Um, I'm a bit lower on him than, than others. He's still like a first round cornerback for me. I think still first like definitely like top. 12 15 pick i don't think he should fall past that whatsoever um i am worried about the injuries i am worried about the decline in play the tackling and all that stuff i just think that for me he's my cornerback three yes three behind gardner and booth um and i just think there's more risk involved there with stingley than a guy like sauce and so that's at the end of the day my kind of thought process with this scenario i'm a risk averse person 
And I think that's what this scenario comes down to. Are you risk averse or are you just trying to swing for the fences, man, and go for the potential play? Because like you said, Thibs and, and Stingley, like absolutely the ceiling on them. Whew, crazy. Like that's that's two potential all pros right there. Are Sauce and Jermaine two potential all pros? Maybe, but I, I don't I don't see it as as much as I would with the other two. But I think you're getting to high level starters. I think Sauce can absolutely be a cornerback one, pro bowler, perennial pro bowler. Jermaine, um, very pro ready run defender. Will he ever get perennial or yeah, perennial double digit sacks? I think it'll depend kind of on the system and the talent around him. Like I think if he's got a really good number two beside him or if, or if he is the number two, then yes, he can, he can get to that, but he needs to refine his hands a lot um, to get there. So for me, I'm a risk averse person. I would go sauce and Jermaine. But this is a win-win scenario, man. Daniel, you, you gave us a tough one for sure. Um, okay, let's do the next one. Actually, let me see chat real quick. Chat's still here with the fire used to be. Y'all know. Y'all know. Um, okay, last one. Boom. Okay, found of Houston Sports on Twitter says, okay, you got three questions for us. We're going to take one. Um, sharing is caring, my guy. <laughs> Which prospects in the draft community and oh no, sorry which prospects is the draft community picking on a little too much for your liking we've talked about this a bit in the the beginning of the podcast stream i don't know what to call this now doing both um who if you had to pick one who do you think is being criticized unfairly the most eric i mean you know i, I voiced how excited i am about Karloftis, um mm -hmm. and i think that would probably be my pick because you know earlier on in the process he was like pretty consensus top 10 pick for everybody and i think yeah. just um the longer the process went on the more at least to me it seemed like people just got bored with him because i think he still did a lot of the things over the process that he was supposed to do you know he didn't test like completely out of this world but he tested exactly what his tape looked like which is like perfectly fine with me mm -hmm. um and so i you know basically just to loop back to everything else i've said about karloff this just to be as explosive as he is at that size is just insane to me so it's been a little bit baffling to me that he's fallen a little bit more into the 25-ish range. I've even heard some people are saying that he might fall to the second, which, again, Jeez. would be completely insane to me. I just think that there's no way that that should happen. So my answer for this is probably Karloftis. Karloftis, Karloftis. Okay, I think that's fair. I think I, I guess one of the other reasons why he may be falling is that it's such a great edge class. Um, yeah. And the Travon Walker hype has been absolutely <laughs> insane. I think on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, he's might be the player who is is gaining too much hype for my liking. Um, Walker. That's not, yeah, Walker. I agree. You yeah. agree, right? Okay, thank you. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Um, that's not the question. The question is which prospect is going to pick on a little bit too much. For me, um, it's definitely Kyle Hamilton. I'm a big team Kyle Hamilton guy. I just think... He's so much more athletic than he tested. And he's one of those guys where you just have to trust the film. The film does not lie. I say it all the time. And he has made some of the most insane plays out of a college safety that I have ever seen. I mean, his range, his instincts. Like I was talking to someone on Twitter the other day when he was when they were trying to discount that uh the pick, the iconic pick he had versus FSU, where he went from the far hash to the to the other sideline. And they're like, it's not even that far. The ball was underthrown in the NFL. Like, I'm like, the college hashes are wider than in the NFL. They yeah, are a like, wider field. <laughs> He's never going to have to run that far in the NFL. Like, exactly. So, like, And the thing is, 
if Hamilton never ran his 40, we mm-hmm. would still be there would still be people making the argument that he might be the best player in the class. And like yeah. he still might be. Yeah. I, I think there's probably like three, four, five guys you can make the case like this is the best player in the class. Mm-hmm. Hamilton's absolutely one of them. And so the fact that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the fact that he could potentially be there at 13 yeah. and is maybe the best player in the class, you're absolutely right. He, he's been picked on and it like, just trust the tape on this one. Or trust the tape. Let's go, Derek. I love it. I love it. Okay. Beige got a question for you. Uh, what team do you follow or support? Uh, so I was a Ravens fan uh, once upon a time. And then mm-hmm. I, so I'm a very, I'm a very uh, fickle fan. Let me say this. I, I cannot be asked <laughs> to be that invested. So mm-hmm. the 2014 going into 2015 season. So I, I can't remember if it was the AFC championship game or a divisional game, but it was against the Patriots. Flacco threw a pick like right in on the front left pylon. And I just, it felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I was like, yeah, I don't have to do this anymore. I'm good. <laughs> Dude, you're complaining about the Ravens and their yep. <laughs> lack of success. This was like two years after they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh my gosh. Derek's got a high bar. Oh man. Just, just Flacco be- ruined me, man. Flacco ruined you. Try being a Texans fan. Holy. <laughs> I-, I don't no. think I have the fortitude. <laughs> No, that's fair, though. Honestly, I feel like that's like the healthiest way to go about sports. Don't be too invested. Um, it's it's tough. I always joke about that being a Texans fan is like, it's like an illness, man. It's, it's like a disease. Like I can't help myself, but uh, I'm here doing it every week. Um, bu- 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 we... Okay, question for Derek. Perfect. Ryan says, how do you see positional value changing with the expanse of the passing game and implementation of more cover two in the NFL. I love this one, Ryan. Um, so I think safeties are definitely, I don't know if it's that safeties are necessarily more valuable. I do think we're seeing that the top of the market teams are a little bit more willing to pay, you know, top of the market for these guys yeah. as compared to five, six years ago, which I think is notable. Um, I think it's just that you're asking them to do different things. I think you need guys who can, um, you know, play a split field half and then not only in coverage, but like be able to trigger um, and come down in the run game. And that's actually why, mm-hmm. like, you know, a guy like John Johnson for the Rams a couple years ago, that's what he was so good at is that he was a really good cover defender all around. But when you put him onto the strong side and he had to trigger down and, and be that extra late fitter in the run game, mm-hmm. he was able to do that. And so backpacking off of that, really, I think also, you know, the guys that are playing on not the edge edge of your defense. So not these like outside linebackers into seven or whatever, but the guys who are playing like four, five tech for you, that sort of deal. I think those guys are becoming a lot more important um, because those are the guys that are buying you time so that your one, honestly, in a lot of these defenses are only playing one linebacker. Mm -hmm. Those are the, the, those guys up front are the ones that are buying the time for this linebacker to, to get by in a bunch of space. They're the ones buying a little bit of time for the safety to nail down. So I think those guys are becoming a lot more important. And I think, we're starting to see some teams are are willing to be interested in those type of players. I mean, I think it's part of why Trayvon Walker is getting as much hype as he is because truthfully, that kind of role is probably what he would do best. Um, we're going to get into the last segment of the show before we let Derek go. Um, let me pull back up my outline because freaking computer crashed. But okay, this is a section we're going to be doing with all of our guests at the end of the show. Rapid fire questions. Let's go. Okay. Favorite defensive player, Derek, who's who you got? Man, favorite just in terms of like, I, you know, I think Logan Hall um, from Houston. You know, he, he's kind of a weird, kind of can play three tech, kind of can play like four eye, 
kind of can play like a big end at like six, you know, depending on what you're doing, like a Michael Bennett. But I just think the way that he gets after it, it he's the meanest defender in the class, man. Oof. Like he is just beats the hell out of people. I just think he has insanely heavy hands, super active. And what really impresses me the most about him is he just has this really, really unbelievable balance for a guy who is, you know, I think he, he weighed in or measured in at about 6'6". Typically, it's hard to remain balanced um, when you're that size. You have to be rare, kind of like Calais Campbell, Eric Armstead. Those guys are just built different, um, and they have this odd way of coming to their center of gravity no matter how they're getting hit no matter what they're doing and i think hall has enough of that that he can be that you know that kind of player maybe he's not going to be you know the all quite the all pro that like Clay's campbell is but i think he can be a guy who is you know consistently fighting for um you know pro bowl bids every now and then just as a kind of like we were saying in that three tech ish four eye kind of role yeah 100 percent. i really loved him i thought he was one of the most improved players from 2020 yes. to 2021 i hated his 2020 tape i was like this guy's <laughs> yeah. not playable he's a tweener I don't, I don't like him he was way lighter yeah yeah but he bulked up and he was functional with that strength too like like you said like mm -hmm. he's a wall that dude is hard to move he'll eat doubles like he you kind of have to double team him um mm -hmm. because of his pure strength his arm length um, I've heard some people say he, he kind of has pad level issues. I didn't really see that. I actually really liked his pad level. Um, that You know what? I'll, I'll speak to that very quickly. Yeah. I think in the run game, he doesn't have pad level issues. Yeah. I think he does an insane job of coming off the ball and staying low. Um, whether he's shooting out or like whether he's anticipating to double team or get a double team, I think he his pad level in the run game is so low. I think it's just because like he does a good job of staying low out of his stance. Where I think mm. some of the pad level stuff comes up is as a pass rusher where he's having to like buy back that space, you know what I mean? And usually if you're having to buy back that space and rush the passer, you're going to be standing up higher because you're running. So yeah. I think that's more where it shows up. But even then, I still think the balance outweighs the leverage issues. I think so too. I think so too. So you, th you got him as a first round guy? I think so, yeah. I think he's like 24th-ish on our Bleacher Report board, something nice. like that, something in that range. Okay, love it, love it. I know we would love to have a, a Houston guy um, stay in state. Okay, moving on. You gave us your favorite defensive player. Give us your favorite offensive player in the draft. Favorite offensive player in the draft. You know what? I, I really, really enjoy um, Jameson Williams from Alabama. I think, nice. you know, I don't I, – I, I said this on Mino's podcast, but I don't watch – on Saturdays as much as I used to um, mm. college football. So, you know, I've seen, you know, uh, bits and pieces in a couple of games of Jameson Williams. I was like, oh yeah, he's, he's a birder. He's fast. It's like rugs yeah. again. You watch him run routes and you're like, oh no, yes. this is way, this is a lot better than rugs was coming out. Um, he, he's to me, just one of the cleanest route runners. I think what's so impressive is he understands what kind of coverages he's getting and how to tempo his routes in a way that will actually manipulate those coverages and mm. manipulate that kind of space. And so, you probably want him to catch better in contested areas. Sometimes he has some weird drops, but like just in terms of the dynamic speed, the route running, he's going to be able to get open however, whenever, and he's really good with the ball in his hands. So I like him a lot. Yeah, he's generally one of the most, like if you were to put together an all like fun team, like just fun yeah. to watch. Like he's, 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 one, he's, one, he's first overall. <laughs> yes. He's like the card you're going to go after in Madden all the time. Yes. Like you need to go get his card because he's going to be an absolute game breaker. Um, but no, I'm glad you mentioned the route running thing because it's so easy to label these speedsters as, as just speedsters. But he's right. not like, 
like you said, Henry Ruggs, he's not like a Nelson Aguilar, like that type of just pure speed. Like he has nuance to him. He's actually like pretty decent off the release. Like he shows some head fakes, some jab steps. He knows how to set up defenders and attack their leverage. And I, I keep going back to that one play where it was versus Georgia. He ran the stutter and go. It was like a stutter that was like 20 yards downfield. And he hit the stutter and it kind of delayed the it threw off the cornerback and also kind of messed with the safety as well because the timing that lewis sign had to come over from the center field like man he he shows detail for sure i'm with you on that i'm with you on that for sure um okay favorite defensive player logan hall favorite offensive player jameson williams who is the most overhyped player in this class Derek? ha uh, there's quite a few of them <laughs> it seems <laughs> uh just because you know the top of the class isn't what people want it to be so i think they're trying to find some guys um mm -hmm. I think probably the one that I would go with is uh, Devin Lloyd, uh, linebacker Oof. from Utah. I just, I think for me, part, part, partially it's a preference thing. You know, for linebackers in particular, I really, really like guys that can go up and take on blocks yeah. um, in the box between the tackles. That is just not Devin Lloyd's game. He, he's a guy who needs to be able to play in space. He needs to be able to, to take good angles over the top. Um, he needs to be able to like shoot gaps rather than like actually beat blocks. And so mm -hmm. I just think his projection is a little trickier. Um, and also the other thing with him is, you know, he has some snaps on the edge and I think people have said, you know, he's really versatile and you can put him on the edge. Yeah. I personally don't think a lot of what he did is like functional. Um, I think he would just be better to stay off the ball. Um, and I think you're just hoping that he can be Shaq Thompson, which is, is probably like a generous version of what it could be, but that's kind of what you're hoping for. And I just think, I'm not, I'm not as confident he'll get there is the way I would phrase it. Yeah. I remember he was one of the first guys that we actually talked about together on Twitter. Um, and I, I see the, the hesitations with you because especially as a Texans fan, watching Devin Lloyd and, and those, that mold of off ball linebackers that need to go to round blocks and stuff like that. It reminds me a lot of Zach Cunningham and I love Zach Cunningham. I bought into him fully because he's this tackle machine and he could just chase the ball down and chase down these running backs from the backside. And they're like, where'd this guy come from? Like he just came out of nowhere. Right. But at the end of the day, like why a big reason why he struggled with us is like, he could not get off blocks to save his life. Once DJ reader was gone, like our run defense crippled because Cunningham couldn't get off blocks. And if you're going to pay this guy as much as we were paying him, like, come on, like you got to be able to defeat blocks a different way because you can't keep going around them and, and be putting yourself out of position. Um, so I, def I definitely hear you on that. I think where he's different than Cunningham, I guess, is like the coverage skills. Like I really buy into Devin Lloyd's coverage ability. And so I think at the very least, you're getting like a really, really damn good zone coverage linebacker. Um, and that's why I kind of think he's a good fit for the Texans with Lovey Smith and, and all that he asks out of his linebackers. Um, would I take him at 13? Definitely not. But... If you trade down and he's there in the in the late twenties, do you think that's a better range for him? Yeah, uh, yeah, like thirteen is is way too generous for me. Um, the the late twenties is like you know what, maybe I wouldn't do it, but like I get it in that range. You know what I mean? I think for I think on our Bleacher Report board, he's closer to like mid thirties, high thirties. Okay. Um, yeah. but at that point, that's like what a ten pick difference. That's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, I feel you on that. Um, I do want to ask you about this one. Ryan's got a good guy, uh, Brandon Smith, because this was one of the I feel like the most one of the more polarizing players. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on him. He is one of the most confounding prospects, probably yeah. in the entire class, truthfully. Um, I'll start with the the great. I think his cover skills are actually really good. Um, yes. one he has the length, which is really impressive. Um, but he moves around really well. I think he does good understanding what windows are behind him and how to get into those and mess with the quarterback. I think he's going to be one of the better cover guys. His run defense stuff is just all over the place. Like he'll yeah. have some reps where he 
comes down, crushes a puller, makes a crazy tackle, and you're like, whoa. And then he'll have three plays where he just like is slow to trigger and then doesn't put his hands up against contact. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, where'd the other guy go? Bring him back. Come on. <laughs> and so I think if he can be the good version of himself as a run defender yeah. more, if he can show more consistency, he would be a good player. But I think because the inconsistency, he's more of like a, you know, back end of day two, early day three type, I think. Yeah, that's where I see him too. Um, third, fourth round type of mm-hmm. type of range. Um, I think one thing to speak to the inconsistency, I feel like, and this is the point that you brought up earlier with with Karloff, this is I, I watching his 2020 tape, like he improved so much. Like I really did not like his 2020 tape, um, but going to this 2021 tape, he made huge strides as a run defender in terms of diagnosing his keys um, and, and actually filling his, his gaps properly. Um, so I think, the arrows pointed up for him big time. I believe he's still only just 20 years old. So yeah, he, he was, he's younger. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he's one of those develop, developmental guys where I'm not going to expect him to start year one whatsoever, but year two, year three, like I think you're getting a solid above average starter. Um, and he's got all the athletic gifts that you can dream of for sure. I think the last thing I'll say on it, I would not be surprised if a team thinks that he can be what Willie Gay was for the Chiefs, where he mm. kind of didn't play a whole lot um, early um, you know, as a rookie, and they didn't really want him to to bring him on. And then by his second year, he's not fantastic. Um, you know, Willie Gay, but like he very clearly showed this year, he's a starting NFL linebacker. Yeah. I think with Smith, you're kind of hoping that that's what happens. Absolutely. And with how much you need these faster, lighter coverage linebackers nowadays that can't get picked on in coverage as easily, these guys like Smith, they're gonna have a premium for sure, for sure. Um, but this is perfect. Alpha leads us into our next question. Who's the most underrated player slash like hidden gem um, at any position for you? All right. My favorite, and I watched this guy pretty late. I only saw him maybe about a month ago, but um, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez. Ooh. This dude is crazy. He, yeah. he To me, he has a lot of overlap actually with N'Kobe Dean. Um, he's obviously like not as good. Um, but he's this like shorter, sawed off guy who has good speed. And what really impresses uh, me about him is he, one, he's quick to trigger on stuff. He, he does really well to diagnose and just go. But he plays really tight to his defensive lineman in traffic. And it kind of allows him to like squeeze into these really weird areas. And I think if you really watch a lot of the best linebackers in the NFL, they kind of have that trait to them where they just have this weird way of finding space that's not there um in in, you know when in all that trash so i think he kind of has that um problem is just he has first percentile arm length and that's Mm -hmm. going to be a problem in the nfl you know guys are just going to be bigger and stronger and they're gonna they're gonna get him that way but if he can overcome it even a little bit i would not be surprised if he has you know this weird like chris borland-esque early career something like that wow okay malcolm rodriguez okay state yeah yep okay okay i'm gonna put him on my list to watch um because i have not checked him out yet but that's a good one to note. You can always find those linebackers. That's the great thing about that position is you can always find those linebackers late on day three that end up, you know, having maybe it's a, a niche role or whatnot. But yeah, that's great to hear because I'm a big Nicobe Dean guy. I might be yeah. like the biggest. Like he's, I think, sixth overall on my board, which is really, really high. Um, so I love my I love my little linebackers who play bigger for sure. <laughs> um, okay. Now last question. This is an interesting one. If you could guarantee one player to start your franchise with, who would it be? So imagine blank slate, no one's on your roster. You start rebuilding the Ravens from ground zero. Who is the one player in this draft class that you need to have? 
Uh, I guess, it, you know, it kind of would just, for me, depend about, you know, like what position value you want to go for. But to me, mm -hmm. I just think that Thibodeau is the best player in the class and Edge is obviously a valuable enough position where you don't have to quibble with that very much. So yeah. I think for me, it would just be Thibodeau. And in my opinion, that's locking in a guy who's going to be, you know, basically flip-flopping over and under 10 sacks a year, um, you know, somewhere in that 8 to 12 range consistently. So I think if you take a guy like that, that's probably as, as that's probably how I would want to do it. Just because even though I like Ritter, he's, mm -hmm. I don't know if he's all the way a guy I would want to swing on. And then I, I don't like any of the other quarterbacks. So it's just a bit up for me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, thank you all for $5. I appreciate it. What I was going to say is every time a Texans fan asks me on Twitter and says, no, I don't want Kayvon Thibodeau. He's overhyped, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to replay this podcast. Okay? <laughs> I'm just going to replay it to them because this is perfect, Derek. I love all the points you made on Thibodeau. And my final thing on him is where do you see his ceiling? What do you, like if he hits, if everything goes right for him, what does that type of player look like? So to me, he's actually really, really similar to um, – Jaguars pass rusher Josh Allen I just think he's like better <laughs> like I think he's I think he's a little bit bigger he's a little bit faster he's a little bit stronger um so I think you know we've seen Josh Allen get up into that 10 sack range and I think if Thibodeau can be a little bit better than that and then add some consistency you know and to be fair part of Josh Allen's inconsistency is he had some bad players playing on the other side of him at certain points um especially this year like Clavin Chazon is oh my gosh. not an NFL player <laughs> um and so i think if he, if he could be a little bit more consistent slightly better version of Josh Allen that's kind of what i see okay okay i love it so that's perennial pro bowl do you think perennial all pro that's like to me pretty consistent pro yeah. bowler with like maybe he squeezes in one or two all pros Okay. Okay. I love it. I think that's a player that you absolutely can build your defense around. And I think Texans mm -hmm. fans should love that pick at three. Stop complaining, comparing him to Clowney. Stop comparing him to Mario Williams. He is his own man. You cannot hold previous players history against them, against a, a, a different player. You, you just can't. It's not fair um, whatsoever, but money, Matt, thank you so much for the $50. Whew. Appreciate you, my guy. Hope you had a good time in Florida. Um, Jerry Nolf with $20. Great talk, guys. Good job making sense and not getting me mad. There you go. We turned one potential, I think, Kayvon Thibodeau um, doubter. We turned him around. Let's go, Derek. But I appreciate the, the $20 um, from Jerry. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Never mind. We got another one. Alpha, $5. Thank you very much, my guy. He says, damn, Matt, can't hang with you, brother. Money, no, <laughs> you, you cannot you cannot hang with money, Matt. You don't want to try. You do not want to try. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for everyone who tuned in. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, all that good stuff on the YouTube. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I appreciate you. More shows will be coming on the Believe in Texans network. Um, follow me on tech on Twitter at Texans underscore thoughts. Follow Derek at QB class. I mean, you don't even need any more Twitter followers. I don't know why I'm plugging you. You're fine. You're chilling. You're on Mina Khan's show all the time. Like, come on, you're fine. It doesn't but, hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Absolutely. Um, definitely check him out, guys, for more NFL draft content. Um, he's definitely one of my go-to guys to, you know, see are my takes logical. And, and to get some other ideas on these other players. But thank you very much, Derek. I appreciate you for taking the time out of your day um, to join me, man. Yeah, thank you, man, for having me on. It was a blast. A anytime. Awesome, awesome. We'll have to do it again. Um, but yes, take care, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed. And remember, the film don't lie.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.